Good morning. Well, for the month of July, uh, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. Uh, Galatians is six chapters, and I have five weeks. And so that felt a little scary, I'll be honest with you, but I thought, you know what, we're just going to do it. I, Galatians is what I've been reading on my own anyway, and so I thought, I'm just going to, I'm going to do it. Um, and so uh, the sermons, I think, will be under two hours each, and uh, you guys will really appreciate that. Um, so the book of Galatians is the oldest and almost certainly the angriest uh, letter uh, that that Paul ever wrote. Um, but I'm not going to preach it angry, okay? Just so you know, I won't be preaching angry like Paul was. Uh, Paul was preaching to a real different situation, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, I picked Galatians partly because it's what I was reading, uh, but partly because as I was reading it, uh, I was struck by the beauty of the gospel itself. It's just awesome. And Paul does such a good job. So it's in his anger, he's really pleading with these people to come and enjoy Christ. Come enjoy Jesus. Don't, don't allow yourself to be deceived. The gospel is awesome. And it's worth praising the Lord for. It's worth giving your life to. Um, and so that's really why I, I, I picked the letter. Um, in the book of Galatians, uh, Paul pleads with the Galatians or for the Galatians to reject a works-based gospel, a christ plus something else gospel or a grace plus works gospel. He pleads with him to reject that and return to the gospel of grace that he had taught them. Um, the group that was propagating this false gospel are often now called the Judaizers. Uh, so who were the Judaizers? Uh, we get the word uh, from Galatians 2.14 uh, where um, Paul says, um, uh, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? That's Paul's question to Peter. That word, live like Jews, um, is this word, and you know, um, I took Greek. I stink at it, let's just be honest. But the, 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 the word is uh, eudiadzo, that's the... East Texas pronunciation of it, Eudiazo, uh, but it's Judaizer, uh, and it's live like a Jew, or live like Jews. As the translation suggests, uh, Judaizers embraced a false gospel, which can be described as Christ plus Jewishness, or Christ plus Jewish law and customs, Christ plus works, or simply just Christ plus. Um, Judaizers would say that you need God's grace through faith in Jesus. But to be saved, you first need to become Jewish through circumcision and obey the law. In Galatians, Paul refers to the Judaizers as false brothers who snuck into churches with their, quote, gospel that included Christian vocabulary words. That's, that's really how they pulled this off. You know, how do you get into a church with a false gospel? Well, you, you hijack Christian vocabulary words. And so they would use words like Jesus, grace, faith, obedience, words that would have gone, oh, yeah, 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 to the Galatians, yeah, yeah, that, that, that's our language. This is what Mormons have done. 
Um, they hijacked vocabulary words. Um, and they, and they, they snuck into the church in Galatia. Um, their gospel also included ideas that echoed what the Galatians had always believed. I mean, the, the Gentile Christians knew that Jesus was Jewish and that the Jews were the chosen people. So the Gentiles were vulnerable and the Judaizers were there to exploit their vulnerability with a false gospel that said, hey, listen, you know, Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, right? And it's true that he's saving Gentiles. But listen, his promises are only for the Jews. So if you want to be saved, I mean, yeah, you got to believe in Jesus and all that. But you've also got to become a Jew via circumcision and obey the law. Otherwise, you're not getting in. Because of the, 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 what the Galatians knew of their culture, because, because of, frankly, the way things had always been, they would have been very susceptible to that idea. I mean, they, the, the Galatians were Gentiles who knew that the promises had been given to the Jews forever ago. They were well aware of that. And so to them, it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. If he's the Jewish Messiah, then I've got to become a Jew to be saved. And so it was very um, deceitful um, and very sneaky. And Paul references it that way. It was secretive. It was sneaky. It was sly. It was slick. It was well packaged. And of course, this so-called gospel is completely different from the one Paul uh, had been preaching to them. And to undermine Paul's gospel, they first needed to undermine Paul's authority. And isn't that where it always starts? Um, you undermine the authority of the word. You undermine apostolic authority. And that's how you get to a false gospel. Um, so Paul spends most of the, of the first two chapters here defending his apostleship. Not for his own sake, but for the sake of the gospel. After all, there's no reason to believe Paul's gospel if it originated with man, which is what the Judaizers claimed. He's just preaching man's gospel. He didn't really get it. From Jesus, he got it from men, and it originated with man. Um, and so that's the first couple of chapters is Paul defending his apostleship. The, ne- the last four chapters uh, is Paul's defense of and reintroduction to the gospel. Um, and so that's our that's kind of where we're headed. So we'll get through Paul's entire defense of his apostleship today. That's really what we're doing this morning. And then we'll move on to the gospel for our last four weeks. So with that in mind, our passage this morning is Galatians 1, 1 through 2, 14. And I am going to read the whole thing to you. Um, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, that's Peter, and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order that I might make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet, because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I'd been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, They gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles 
to live like Jews. In the, in the first couple of verses, um, Paul introduces himself and he makes an initial defense. You know, Paul often opens his letters with something like, you know, he's an apostle by the will of God or something like that. He, he regularly acknowledges that. But this is beefed up a little bit. You can tell where he's going. He's coming in pretty hot here. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man. That's the crux of the Judaizers' argument. That he was just, uh, the gospel was given to him by a man, and his apostleship is, or is, is based in man. It's not, it's not from the Lord. Um, so he says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who were with me. Now, often he'll name who he's with. You know, it'll be Paul and Timothy or whoever it is. He'll often use their names. But here, it's like he's saying, hey, uh, I'm Paul the Apostle, and I've got a whole bunch of people with me. Like, I'm not, I'm not some rogue preacher over here with this like distorted gospel um i i'm i'm paul the apostle and and i've got people (laughs) um in verses three to five um he gives them a, a real quick greeting but he's really giving them the a real quick gospel here um he says to the churches of galatia and that's really the end of the greeting right there um to the churches of Galatia, uh, grace to you and peace. That, that that's a common um, that's common Pauline language there. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Notice that our peace with God. And deliverance from evil were given to us by grace when Jesus gave himself for our sins. You with me on that? Our peace with God and deliverance from evil, according to Paul here, were given to us by grace when Jesus gave himself for our sins. I mean, that's the gospel, right? Salvation is given. It's not earned. And it's not given to the deserving, is it? And how do we know? Because that's earning, not grace. And if I earn my salvation, then I get glory for that, don't I? If I earn, if I work for it, I get the glory. But here, Paul makes it so clear that salvation is accomplished by God's grace according to God's will so that only God gets the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the essence of the gospel. God does the work. God gets the glory. We get the benefit. God is the benefactor. We are the beneficiaries. Like we're just in a receiving position and that's it. There is no earning here. Um, in verses six through nine, uh, we learn that the Galatians are turning to a different gospel that Paul says is no gospel at all. Um, he says, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then it's almost like Paul stops and gives himself like a, little, a quick little corrective. He's like, well, actually, not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. There is only one gospel. There's only one good news. Um, 
And, and Paul is astonished that they're deserting the gospel. He, is, he says the word astonished. Now, he is shocked. Uh, the so-called gospel to which they're turning is not good news at all. It doesn't result in deliverance, but damnation. They're abandoning the gospel of grace for a gospel of earning. And Paul can't believe it. He just can't believe it. I mean, he's labored with these people to deliver to them the one true gospel, and they've just completely abandoned it. Um, does the gospel of earning sound like good news to you? <laughs> that sounds horrible to me because we've already sinned. We've already sinned. A gospel of earning says, well, hey, if you start doing the right things, God will let you in. What's my problem? It's twofold, threefold, if you will. I'm not going to start doing all the right things. I haven't done all the right things. And I was born a sinner. Like, I've got massive problems here. And so a gospel of earning is nowhere near the ballpark I want to be playing in. Um, and so how serious is this? Notice that Paul prays for the Judaizers who are deceiving them to be, uh, in the ESV it says accursed. Uh, often this word is just is, is transliterated. It's, instead of translated, it's transliterated, um, the word anathema, which is very close to the Greek word for that. What is anathema? Uh, the idea of anathema is really sent straight to hell. Like that's really what Paul's praying. It's, this is like an imprecatory prayer. You, when you think imprecatory prayer, you, you typically think David in the Psalms. Here's Paul dropping one in the New Testament. Um, he is praying for these people, these false teachers, these, these Judaizers to be sent straight to hell. The gospel is not some heady doctrine. It's a matter of life and death in the truest, most ultimate sense of the word. And so Paul isn't having any part of these false teachers. He wants them sent to hell on the spot. He's saying, Lord, get rid of these guys. Just take them out. Which I think is interesting. He doesn't say, Lord, please save them. Which is what I would have thought he would have said. Take them out. Get rid of them. Now, how are the Judaizers deceiving the Galatians? Well, they're doing it the same way every other false teacher does, by undermining the authority of the word. And I say the authority of the word. I'm going to use the authority of the word uh, and biblical authority and apostolic authority pretty interchangeably here because they really are functionally, in the New Testament at least, they're functionally synonymous. Um, so they're undermining the authority of the word. They're undermining Paul's apostolic authority. Jesus set Paul apart as an apostle. Paul knew it, and the other apostles knew it. And at one point, even the Galatians knew it. But the Judaizers undermined Paul's apostolic authority. They undermined the authority of the word, and that's where all departures from the gospel began. To reject biblical authority, you start with a little... You know, did God really say, is that really the way it happened? Is that really true? Is Paul really an apostle? Are you guys sure about that? I mean, it sounds a little fishy to me. Let me give you 36 reasons why. Now, how did the Judaizers do it? They told the Galatians that Paul received the gospel from the apostles, not from Jesus. 
And since his gospel was never from God, so they say, but from man, he lacks apostolic authority. So for the sake of the Galatians, Paul argues for his own apostleship and for the truthfulness of the gospel by laying out the evidence that he received the gospel directly from Jesus, not from any man. And so his defense is in three parts. The first, in the first part, he essentially argues that uh, for the first decade and a half or so after his conversion, he was never with people who would have or could have taught him the gospel. Uh, in the second part of his defense, he says that when he finally went to Jerusalem to meet the apostles, he told them the gospel. And they perceived that Paul had received the gospel, grace, and apostleship for his ministry to the Gentiles. And then the third part is uh, when he actually uh, corrects Peter um, there in the end. So instead of um, Paul being instructed, um, the great irony was Paul ended up doing the instructing to the apostles. And so let's start with the first part of his defense. Um, for the first decade and a half or so after his conversion, he wasn't with people who would have or could have taught him the gospel. So in chapter 1, verse 12, um, you see that um, prior to his conversion, Paul persecuted the church and emerged as a rising star in Judaism because of his zeal for the Jewish traditions of his forefathers. So what changed? Well, Paul certainly wouldn't have been taught the gospel by any of his teachers at the time. Suffice it to say, they were not interested in that. Um, so how did he go from persecutor of the church to apostle to the Gentiles? Well, it happened when God, who'd set part of Paul apart before he was born, called him by his grace, revealed to him the gospel, and made him an apostle to the Gentiles. That's how it happened. Paul says, hey, um, I don't know where you think I would have gotten this, but do you know who my teachers were? Like, these are not guys that are going to be sharing the gospel with me, right? These are guys that hate the gospel, and they're teaching me to hate Christ and his gospel. And so then in verses 15 through 18, after he received the gospel, he didn't hop on the first plane to Jerusalem to learn from the apostles. Instead, he obeyed God and went immediately into Arabia and Damascus. These are Gentile regions where he spent three years preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And the land of the Gentiles is not where a Christian would have gone to learn the gospel or where someone would have gone to learn the gospel. It's where you would go to share the gospel. Like it's a, it, This would have been a spiritually desolate place. Um, so he's going, hey, again, who do you think was in um, you know, Arabia and Damascus that would have been there to educate me in the gospel? There was nobody there that was going to be doing that. I was taking the gospel to them, not going there to receive it from them. And then in verses 18 through 20, Paul admits, and you can see that he's sort of reluctant here. He's a little nervous, I think, on this particular point. Um, and he gets pretty adamant about it. He admits that he did eventually go to Jerusalem. That did happen. And he went there to get to know Peter. And so you'll notice in verse 20 um, that Paul says, 
in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. There is this, um, he's adamant here. There, there, there is a, hey, trust me on this. I'm, I'm really telling you the truth. Why does he say that? Because he knows that at face value, what he's just said here sounds a little fishy. The Judaizers are going to go, see, told you. He learned it from the apostles. He just admitted it right there. He went and spent all this time with them. I mean, that's, that's, that's when it happened, right? I mean, that, that's when it happened. Um, but Paul says um, that he was only there for 15 days with Peter. And it was just Peter and James. That was it. Uh, it's not clear from the text whether he's referring to James as another apostle. It, it, it's clear in English that they're doing that. It's not clear in Greek whether he was actually saying James was an apostle or if Peter was the apostle and James was the only other person that he saw while he was there, or spent any time with while he was there. Don't know, um, don't know what he's talking about there. Um, but his argument is essentially that he was there, but he was only there for 15 days and that was it. That wouldn't have been nearly enough time for Peter to impart to Paul the depth of understanding that Paul possessed. Paul understood way more of Christ and his gospel than anybody could take in in 15 days. You just can't do it. Uh, And that was kind of his argument there. Now, why did Paul go and visit Peter? Well, the the text doesn't say, but it's really not hard to imagine um, that that after um, spending three years functionally uh, flying solo or kind of being... Uh, the guy, if you will, among the Gentiles, it may be nice just to fellowship with a believer. Like I, I could believe that easily. I could believe um, that Paul's curiosity about Peter's experiences with Christ, because Paul had the gospel. He had the right doctrine. What he didn't have was that up close personal knowledge and witness of the life of Christ while he was on the earth. And I could see Paul's curiosity going, okay, Peter, man, tell me what that was like. Oh, my goodness, that had to have been awesome to be there with him and to see him and to watch him. and to, you know. So maybe they wanted to get there and just kind of like share stories a little bit. I mean, I'm sure Peter was kind of like, dude, are you serious? Like you're just walking and blinded, thrown to the ground. Oh, my goodness. Tell me what that was like. You know, What did it sound like when that boom that had? Was it like what I heard on the Mount of Transfiguration? Or you know, what was that like? I, I could see it being that sort of thing. But in the end... We don't know, but Paul did go there uh, to visit. And then after that 15-day stay with Peter, he spent 14 years, the next 14 years, in Syria and Cilicia, also Gentile regions, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And as before, this area is not where you would have gone to learn the gospel. It's where you would go to share it Um. And during that time, Paul notes that he wasn't personally known by anyone in Judea. He said, I didn't even have relationships in Judea. I didn't know anybody in Judea. I didn't know anybody in Jerusalem. I had no, I was not in any way, shape, or form acquainted with those people except for Peter and James. Those are the two guys I knew, and I was with them a total of 15 days. That's it. I was only known there by reputation, says Paul. So that's kind of section one, if you will. That, that's the first part of his defense, which is uh, this idea that he was really never in the right place to have been taught the gospel. It can't be 
a man's gospel because he was never around any men who would have taught it to him. The second part here uh, describes is about Peter's interactions uh, with, I mean, it's about Paul's interaction with the apostles after 14 years when he finally goes to Jerusalem um, to meet with the, all the apostles. Um, and so when, when, when Paul gets there, you'll notice um, here in, okay, yeah, verse where did I go there? Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. I went up because of a revelation and set before them. I set before them, says Paul, the gospel. I gave them the gospel. They didn't, when I, when I got, I didn't go there going, hey guys, hey, can you teach me the gospel? I really need to know. I, I, I don't understand. He didn't do that. He says, when I got to the apostles, I told them the gospel. Um, The goal of the trip wasn't for Paul to receive the gospel from the apostles. And so why did Paul tell them the gospel? Why did he? He knew they knew it. Was he looking for their approval? As though the validity of the gospel he received from Jesus required the validation of some man or men? No, that's not why he did it. He told them the gospel in order to, quote, make sure he was not running or had not run in vain. So what does he mean by that? What did Paul want from the apostles? Well, we know he wasn't there looking for their approval. So what was he looking for? I think he was looking for help. The Gentile believers in the churches he had planted were just as the Galatians are right now in this letter, being inundated by Judaizers who wanted to undermine Paul's gospel in favor of a grace plus works false gospel. And finding gospel agreement and close partnership with the apostles and the mother church there in Jerusalem, the, the, the big church, would be a powerful corrective to the Judaizers and a powerful guardian over the faith of the Gentiles whom he loved and had labored to save. And so I think Paul goes to the apostles not to get validation or to say, hey, can you, can you, can you, can you confirm that the gospel I received is the right gospel? He's not doing that. He goes to them, I think, in a way to say, hey, I need the Gentiles to know because of these Judaizers that are wearing me out that we are all preaching the same gospel. So I'm going to tell you the gospel and then um, I want you to tell me the gospel so that I can hear you say it. And then we know together that we're in the same thing. We're believing the same. We're embracing the same gospel. We've both received from Christ the same gospel. And the Gentiles will know that. They, they, won't, see, they won't see the church as being a, well, there's Paul with the Gentiles. And then, and then there's y'all with the Jews. It won't be like that. Um, we'll, we'll have a united uh, front here, uh, one church, one gospel for all. And I think that's why he went. Um, now, while in Jerusalem, Paul notes in verses 3 to 5 that he and the, uh, and the other apostles encountered Judaizers. There were Judaizers even there. 
And when the Judaizers wanted Titus to be circumcised, both Paul and the other apostles refused to require Titus to be circumcised. Nothing, says Paul, to his teaching. Rather, James, Peter, and John perceived that God had already given Paul grace and apostleship and had entrusted him with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, in exactly the same way that Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that's the Jews. So the apostles didn't give Paul the gospel or make him an apostle. They perceived that God had already done those things and extended to him the right hand of fellowship, which was an acknowledgement of their common union in Christ. I love that, by the way, that right hand of fellowship. Like That's why I've always enjoyed, like, in here, like, I don't mind shaking somebody's hand that, you know, I'll shake anybody's hand, really. Um, but there really is something sweet about the embrace that you have with another believer. Like somebody that you know who is in Christ. It's, it's, it's just different for me. I don't shake Shane's hand. I don't shake Andrew Schubert's hand. Scott Lewis' hand. I don't shake those hands the way I shake Joe Blow's hand that I've never met before. It's just different. Um, I'm, and in fact, I'm actually in my mind, I'm doing something different when I do that. I, I'm, I'm saying, hey, it's me and you, man. We're in this thing together. And that's what was going on there. And then Paul, in the, in the latter parts of verses 6 through 9, um, kind of, um, or in this whole little section, sort of drops some names here. Yeah, he uses the words James, Peter, John, by name. Now, why does he do that? Well, he's not name dropping. I don't think he's trying to tell the Galatians that, uh, you know, as a member of the cool kids club, he hobnobs with the big boys. Um, again, his desire for the trip was to guard the faith of the Gentiles who were being deceived by the Judaizers. And so he mentions James, Peter and John by name, because those are names the Galatians would have known. Those were big names in the church in Jerusalem, for sure. Uh, those were names that were recognized uh, in the church globally. And so Paul wanted to know that, hey, yeah, the, those big names that you trust, they recognize that the gospel that I just told you, the one the Judaizers are undermining, that's a gospel that I received from God and is, in fact, the exact same one that they are preaching. Paul notes in verse 10 that before he left to head back home to Antioch, the apostles asked him to remember the poor, which was almost certainly a request for Paul to do what he can to help with the physical needs of believers, particularly those in Judea and Jerusalem, perhaps especially, since poverty had been a staple in the Judean church from the beginning. And Paul regularly does this. I mean, the, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we find that even the church at Galatia at one point was a significant contributor of funds to help relieve uh, poverty among the churches in Judea and especially in Jerusalem. And so Paul was eager to do that. So Paul says, hey, they, they didn't add anything to the gospel. They just made a request. That's as much instruction, if you will, as I got from the apostles. They, they weren't correcting or giving me some additional points on the gospel or anything like that. They just asked me to remember the poor, and I was already eager to do that, he says. And so the third section here, 
um, is where Paul outlines this experience with Peter, this interaction with Peter in Antioch. Um, and so in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the opening part of Paul's argument here, um, he started with, I was never in the right place to receive the gospel from anybody. He moves to, when I finally was in the right place where I could have received the gospel, I told them the gospel and they embraced me. They acknowledged my apostleship, that I'd received the gospel directly from Jesus. And in this third part here, He's saying, in fact, not only was I not, did I not receive the gospel from the apostles, God used me to actually correct one of them. And so in Acts 10, if you remember, the Lord told this Roman centurion named Cornelius, a Gentile, to have Peter, a Jew, brought to his home. And the next day, God spoke to Peter in this really bizarre dream. If you remember, there's like this, uh, I'm picturing like a giant bed sheet. You know, there's like this big sheet coming down, like these ropes on the four corners of the bed sheet, and it's just coming down out of the sky. And there's all these animals, all sorts of different reptiles and animals and birds and all this stuff on this sheet. And... um and that's not where I typically think of like serving up a meal, right? Like I don't, I don't put my food on a bed sheet and I certainly don't suspend it from the clouds or the air or the ceiling or anything. But when God gives him this vision, he says, Peter, take and eat. You need to eat this stuff. And so Peter says, why, well, you know, I, I, I can't do that because those animals are common. They're, they're, they're unclean. But God corrects Peter and says, what, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, when I hear that passage, my first thought is, you're dadgum right. Would you mind passing me some of that bacon? <laughs> and while that really may be implicit in the text, that certainly was not the point God was making here. God wasn't mainly telling Peter to stop avoiding bacon. He was telling him to stop avoiding Gentiles. Why? Because God was about to use Peter to take the gospel to Cornelius' house and blow open the doors on God's promise to Abraham that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you, do you, do you realize that when, the, when that happened at Cornelius' house, like that was like the seed of the reason that we know the gospel? Like that was like day one. Gospel to the Gentiles. We shouldn't be able to read Acts 10 without getting a little bit emotional. I mean, that's just unbelievable, right? This is not just for the Jews. The gospel is for us. We get the gospel. And so he instructs Peter, hey, you're going to be the guy to take it there. I'm sending you to Cornelius' house to tell them the gospel. The gospel, it destroys ethnic barriers. It destroys racial barriers. It, and in fact, Paul goes on, it destroys economic, it destroys all barriers to create from every tongue, tribe, and nation just two groups of people. Just two. Those who are in Christ and those who are not. That's it. The gospel is not just for Jews, but Gentiles. It's for, it's for the world. 
Now in Galatians 2, we find out that sometime later, after this Acts 10 experience, Peter goes to Antioch, takes a trip to Antioch, and in accordance with the dream that God gave him, he was sitting down eating with a group of believers, some of whom were Jewish, some of whom were Gentile. It just, it wasn't a thing. Like, we're, we're, not, we're not worried about, well, now, what ethnicity are you? Now, blah, blah, blah. We're not worried about none of that. Do you know and love the Lord? Do you, do you believe? Do you embrace the gospel? Are you trusting Jesus? Great, let's sit down and eat, dude. Come on in. That's, the, that's it. Um, and so Peter is sitting down to eat with them. And then it says that some men from James show up. Um, now, we don't know a whole lot about these men from James. Um, it sounds like my guess on this, this is just pure speculation. I'm going to throw that out there because this is not, um, you know, gospel truth here. My, my guess here is that these are people who at one point had been taught by James. They were maybe apostles of James who themselves had been influenced by a false gospel and had become Judaizers. Um, I don't think there's any reason at all to think that James sent these Judaizers uh, to check in on Peter or that these Judaizers were affiliated at this point with James. I think they had departed uh, from the teaching of James and, and his gospel. Um, and so these guys show up, and all of a sudden, Peter, who's sitting down eating with his buddies, hops up, steps back, and separates himself from the Gentiles. Now, why did he do that? Oh, because he feared, it says he feared the Judaizers. Now, I wish I knew exactly what it was. Like, when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, but, like, afraid of what? Like, what, what were they going to, really going to beat you up? I mean, like, what, like, what did you, were they going to steal your lunch money? I mean, like, what do you think was going to happen here? Like, what's the big catastrophe? I honestly don't know what the catastrophe was. But in Peter's mind, when those guys walked in, um, terror struck. And he separates himself from the Gentiles. And when he does, you notice it's not just him. It says in verse uh, 13 there in chapter 2, it says, And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas was Paul's, that was Paul's boy. I mean, that, that was his guy. That was kind of his right-hand man. So even Barnabas followed Peter. Now, when you hear this story, you can imagine how humiliating, insulting, discouraging that must have been to the Gentiles. But there was a lot more at stake here than some hurt feelings. The integrity of the gospel was at stake. And so Paul rebuked Peter in front of the entire assembly. Um, Paul did in Matthew 18 this. He didn't like pull Peter aside and talk to him one-on-one. He didn't do any of that. Why? Peter's sin here was public. It was right out in front of everybody. And it was damaging to everybody. And so a private rebuke would have been completely out of place here. And so Paul just lights him up right in front of everybody. Um, you know, he says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? 
Now, next week when we when we pick back up, I'm, I'm going to kind of pick up with this argument um, and kind of where he's going with that because this section right here really is a transition. It Paul is still um, arguing or defending his apostleship, but he's he's moving into this um, reminder and explanation of and reintroduction to the gospel. And so I'm not going to go there now. Um, I'm going to hold off uh, until next week for that. Um, but I think for the first half of what Paul's doing, in terms of Paul's defense of his apostleship, he just kind of notes the Galatians, the irony that it wasn't Paul who needed correction from Peter, but Peter who needed correction from Paul. And so... Um, like I say, that the next week we'll transition more into the gospel implications here. Um, but to conclude this morning, um, Paul's apostleship didn't just matter uh, in the first century. It very much matters in the 21st century. See, the Galatians were deceived, not because they didn't know the truth. They did, but because they left it. They, they departed from it. They allowed themselves to be deceived. And when people lose sight of biblical authority, a departure from the gospel is inevitable. Like it's going to happen. Uh, You don't know anyone who's ever departed from the gospel who says, you know what? Yeah, I'm really convinced this is the word of the Lord. They don't do that. Every single person who embraces a false gospel gets there by denying the authority of God's word. That's how you do it. Now, we're in a sweet spot. We really are. I mean, we, the, the, the fellowship here is sweet. It really is. I, mean, I, I don't look around the room and go, well, golly, that guy over there, geez, I'm really concerned about him. Being, he's probably like a heretic. We got to get him out of here. Let me pray some imprecatory prayers for that guy. That's not happening, right? Like, we don't do that. But I think at one point, that wouldn't have been happening in, in Galatia either. But they let the guard down. They started listening. That They stopped evaluating everything according to Paul's teaching, according to the apostolic word. They stopped evaluating everything according to that. They started believing, yeah, you know, maybe this human philosophy and wisdom, maybe this argument over here, maybe this guy over here, maybe this authority over here um, is more reliable than God's word, than, than, than apostolic authority. Uh, And so my encouragement to us this morning is for us to be like the Bereans from Acts 17 who stood on the authority and the reliability of the word and they tested everything by it. Everything. This is the standard. This is it. This is the rule, the authority. Um, And as soon as we get rid of that, as soon as we abandon that, Jesus plus something else teachers like the Judaizers are alive and well and they're ready to pounce. Let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for giving us uh, the word. Thank you for its reliability. Thank you for its sufficiency, for its um, authority. God, I pray that we will stand on the authority of the word. Uh, that we won't bend under um, the whims of false teachers, the whims of 
cultural fads and preferences, uh, but that we will be people who are convinced of and are standing on the authority of your word. Because, uh, God, it is good. It is the word of life. Um, so, God, I pray that we will um, love your gospel, love your son, and love your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.